and welcome to FiverrCast, the official Fiverr podcast for sellers by sellers. My name is Red. You can find me on Fiverr at Red Horrocks. And I'm Adam, aka TwistedWeb123. Today we're joined by our multi-talented guest, David388. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself today? Sure. Well, Professionally, I'm a doctor. I'm about halfway through uh, residency and surgery in the U.S. And in my private life, I've always been a writer. So a couple of years ago, I uh, actually a little bit less than two years ago, I, I needed to look into making a little extra money um, because I wanted to get a dog and a dog walker. And I found out about Fiverr. So I started out doing editing and writing gigs, and I still do both of those. And also, I um, now have some consulting gigs on Fiverr also. So David, tell us, how long have you been on Fiverr? I think I joined either July or August of 2014. So somewhere around a year and a half or so now. Gotcha. So uh, with your particular skill set, what we're talking about today is uh, how to make your first sale and tips and tricks on how to make that on Fiverr and challenges that new sellers face. And for you specifically, David, this is something you actually teach people and coach them on, correct? That's right. Yes. So what is one of the most important things that you instruct, like right off the bat, the most important thing that you talk to people about when they are new sellers and they're looking to set up their gig? What's like the first thing that you approach with them on how they can successfully do that and make a sale? Well, I think the most important thing is putting yourself in the buyer's shoes and kind of thinking through the experience that they're going to have when they land on your page. So I always, always tell people to have a profile picture that has their face with them smiling in it and not some object or not stock photography. Um, and then to kind of include their personality in the gig and the description. And I think that sort of helps draw people in a little bit. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that because one of the things that we, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but one of the things that I know I've found is it's the idea that you are your own brand and that what people are purchasing is you and your time rather than just, you know, an object or something like that. So I would agree with that. That's a really important point to go ahead and, and um, make it more personal and things like that. So I know it's been a while, Adam. But do you remember anything that you did to try and gain your first sale back when you started? Since you're the, uh, we'll start with you since you're the longest running Fiverr member on this, on this podcast. It has been quite a while and I, I, can, I, can, I can just about remember the time because I remember the first sale I had and uh, Fiverr have actually just recently bought out the new filter tool on the managed sales page. So I also saw my first sale the other day, which was a bit humbling. Um, and one of the first things that I thought was really important kind of touches upon what David said, which was I kind of identified that until anyone actually buys from me, there are other people also offering my service. So I needed a unique identifier, you know, something that hooked them or made me stand out. Now, back then, because it was still quite the early days, my unique identifier was kind of you know, like an element of my service. So I may offer this, but be a little bit different to other people by offering this. But I know today there's a lot more different services on the platform and a, you know, a lot more different elements that are all combined into that. And that isn't always the easiest thing to do. So I think David kind of hit the nail on the head there, where when you present yourself and you, you are engaging in the way you present yourself, you kind of make you the unique identifier. So with David, with his writing as an example, 
I may look at 10 writers and until I actually order from them, I don't know what I'm going to receive. But David's profile may stand out the best to me with the way he's kind of come across in his personality and his awareness of himself in that. I think for me, um, I'm trying to remember back back to the days when I had my first sale. And I think uh, back then, this was before I had um, quite such a polished video. Um, and I remember that my old uh, video was actually just me sitting talking to a webcam. And I think that um, for me as a voiceover artist, one of the things that it always comes up is how I sound. I mean, it's all about it's all about the voice. That's what people are purchasing. But I think I was... Um, I was lucky in that I went straight for um, expressing my personality on a video. And I think that was one of the things that got me uh, sales right away, right off the bat. Um, so that's a very important thing, too. The, the whole appearing in your gig video, I think, can also be pretty pivotal and having a gig video, too. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all kind of about how you engage your audience. And, you know, some people will say, well, maybe my service isn't that, you know, popular for a vigil or there's no real link between that and there, there can be certain degrees of truth in that but the, the fact is if you're there confidently talking about your service and believing in what you're offering that is only going to engage your audience so you know if you may offer to do something that you may consider quite mundane like you may like a page on facebook or you know follow someone's twitter account or anything along these lines but if you are there explaining your service and you have confidence in the way that you're explaining it, or you have belief in the way that you're explaining it, that's instantly going to engage me, whether you actually want to create a video, you know, marketed around that, or just you actually explaining it. I think that's a great point. And I also think that when people are looking at your gig, uh, whether it's the video or your description, and you're talking about what you do, that's your first example of what you do, if, if it's anything visual. So for people who do design, I think having lots of... Uh, samples of their work can be really effective and you know for people who say hey i'm a copywriter if they have a really bland gig description that's going to turn people away versus if they have something that really kind of sucks you in as a reader i think the other way to touch upon that as well is when you say you need to think about what your buyer is looking for i think we also, i also mentioned this on a, a previous podcast as well when we were talking about branding where it's also important to reference your buyer as well so what I personally like to do is say you offer writing as an example, rather than say, I will write a story, you will say, I will write a story for you, or I will write your article as opposed to I will write an article. And with like design, rather than say, I will create a logo, you say, I will create your logo. And by having that engagement in both the way that you're pitching your personality, but also communicating directly inside, you know, your images, your video and your description, to those buyers, they're being drawn into you because you're referencing their situation. Yeah, exactly. It's it's about almost building a it's about almost building a conversation with your buyer before you've even had an order placed or started to speak with them. It's it's inviting that kind of attitude in. I think I think that's an absolutely perfect way of summarizing it, where you essentially you're turning what is your static page into a conversation opener where you've actually you're the one to start the conversation. Kind of like, you know, when you walk into a restaurant and rather than standing there thinking, do I sit down? Do they wait for me to bring, you know, are they going to come to me to get me to sit down? Where do I order? They're instantly there saying, hey, welcome to the restaurant where your profile should, rather than them thinking, what do they offer? What's going on? You should instantly be the one saying, hey, come over here through the way that you channel what's on your page. Okay. So let's say that you've gone ahead, you've done all this, you've set up your profile, you have your gig video. Um, 
One of the hardest things that we get asked about all the time is, is how to go ahead and tell people about it, how to market. And I feel like it's really important. Um, yes, you have to build this great gig, but you also kind of need to start thinking initially about how you're going to gain any kind of exposure. So David, what do you suggest to people for this? Like, how do they get people to go ahead and look at their gig in the beginning? Well, I was actually, uh, so the advice that I give people is a little bit different than what happened with me. I was lucky that um, I had put my gigs together and at the time I didn't even have my writing gig up yet, but someone had looked at my description for my editing gig and I, th I think they thought it was well-written and they asked me to put together something small for them. Um, and what's really important is that once you get that first sale, you've kind of broken the seal. Um, so something that I like to teach people is uh, I call it priming the pump. Um, so if they have friends or family who might be interested in their services or anyone they know, just getting that first sale or first couple sales suddenly takes their profile from being an empty page with zero sales to something with hopefully uh, a, a five-star rating. So kind of talking to people that may be in your network already that might be interested in what you have to offer is a great way to, to kind of break the seal and get started. I think that's a, a really positive way to kind of look at it because obviously the end goal for most people when they come on Fiverr is to look at top rated sellers and be at that kind of level where they can see thousands of feedback and thousands of sales. But the fact is we, we didn't kind of join and instantly get, you know, a thousand sales overnight. And we, when we initially started getting our gigs out there or marketing it places or pitching it to people, we weren't doing it really with the intention of having thousands of feedback or thousands of sales from that. So it is, it's very much a snowball effect when you kind of, you start as long as you, you know, you get the first sale, the second sale, the third kind of creeps through from that. You may be thinking, well, I'm putting a lot of effort into this, trying to get these to come in, asking these people. But when that starts, you notice that you need to then put less and less effort in and it kind of takes over from itself. So my, my kind of, one of my biggest pieces of advice is that I would give to new sellers is when you create your gig, don't think you need to reinvent the wheel. Don't think you need to go to all of these different lengths to bring in a hundred buyers to instantly compete, you know, and get all this different stuff. Start small and it will start to kind of turn itself. The snowball will build and you will then find yourself established before you know it. Yeah. And that's exactly how it, how it worked with me. I mean, I, I started out with a small number of orders and as that group, because the other thing you have to remember is every single buyer that comes to your page is a potential repeat buyer. So when you're talking about your orders increasing, you're not necessarily just talking about gaining new clients. You're talking about retaining the ones you have. So say that I get, I get five orders in one day and four of them are from clients that I can keep as repeat buyers. So I, I can add, you know, an additional two, three, four clients potentially to my client base on a daily or weekly basis. That's really what your goal is. Your goal is not just to attract the new people. It's to build the relationships and have those people keep coming back. So you don't have to keep going out there and trying to find new people. You know, you're, you're working with a solid base and then you add in new ones here and there. I think that is, uh, it's another thing that, that really highlights the difference between um, when you're just starting on Fiverr and when you are incredibly successful and super busy the way uh, the way I know you guys are right now. Um, when you're early on in the process, you have more time that you can devote to your your early buyers. So you can spend more time on their gigs. You can give them a little bit extra. You can really invest a lot of your time up front into building that relationship with these people 
who, as you guys are saying, would become return buyers. Um, because I think one of the things that makes Fiverr such a strong, special kind of platform is that it's really driven by community. And once you form those relationships with people, like Red saying, they will probably come back. Yeah, I mean, I actually I totted up the um, the kind of calculations once for uh, for a monthly period, and this was at a point when I was an established seller, so I wasn't new, and I you know I had different orders coming in, etc. And I actually I found that over forty percent of my buyers were actually return buyers, so that's quite a high percentage for me in the fact that you know if I didn't gain any new buyers at all, I would still retain forty percent of my business. So you, you can't really stress how important it is. And as you say, how much more time you have to make those initial engagements to kind of build that up. Because then, you know, your first sale becomes your second and it may even be from the, the you know, the kind of the original buyer in the first place. But I, I, I do have a personal question for everyone. And it's the question that, you know, everyone kind of remembers. And I've got to ask for both of you, how long was it before your first sale after setting up your first gig? I, I think mine was within the first uh, the first day or two. And again, it was really kind of an unconventional order because I think what someone had done was he was probably um, sorting by newest seller overall and then just, just skimming through to see who had kind of articulate gig descriptions in, in general because he, wanted, he basically wanted me to um, write a couple one-liners um, as a possible customer on his website, it wasn't. Um, it was. It was actually a, a site for animals, and so he was asking people who were previous pet owners to write like a four or five sentence review about the type of animal they had. So very unusual, but uh, for me, it ended up being really fortunate because it was it was super quick from the time I signed up for Fiverr. Yeah, mine was. Um a little bit delayed because I, I originally the first service I ever offered was um, creating forms for website like contact forms and I think my first sale took maybe like a week and that was you know way back then when it was there was lots uh, a lot of less sellers around or not as many sellers around and it took a week but what I actually learned there was it was actually my gig that was the issue and not there have been a fact of it wasn't that busy and um, when I created my Improve Your Website gig, I got my first sale on that inside the, the first day. So I think when you, you don't receive your first sale, it's important to kind of have a conversation with yourself where you kind of weigh up, should I give it more time or is it potentially the gig? And one of the kind of great resources you have for that at the moment as well is the, um, the Improve Your Gig section in the Fiverr Forum where you can actually get feedback from sellers who are going to, come back and kind of say to you, maybe you should change this or maybe you should change that. And you maybe have an indication of if it's you, as in your, the gig you're offering, or if it's just a case of you need to bide yourself with more time. For you, Red, how, how long was it roughly before your first sale? So I'm actually taking a look at it right now. And my very, very first sale was, it looks like about two or three days after I signed up, after I put a gig up. So it wasn't the first day. It was a couple of days. It was definitely a couple of days. And I'm actually, um, it's actually really weird to see it because it's like a little $5 voicemail order. Um, and I'm actually really tempted to listen to it, but I'm not going to. Um, so yeah, I think it was, it was two or three days. And then after that, it was, I, you know, I'd get like an order 
an order a day and then like maybe two orders a day. And I think it was, it was quite a significant period of time. I want to say about four or five months before I started having double digit order days. Um, and I'm very lucky in that my category is a high volume category. So for someone like me, that's a little easier to obtain than for, um, people who are in like a more, a, a more, um, like a specialty service, even something like, like, like copywriting, I don't think that's as commonly ordered in general as something like voiceovers. So you also have to, when you're thinking about this and you're looking realistically about when you're getting your first sale, try to bear that in mind. Try to bear in mind that yes, you'll see sellers who have thousands and thousands of sales, but bear in mind your category and the kind of work that you're doing. Because some categories are just going to get a ton of orders and some categories are going to be a lot more specialist. Uh, and that's a really, really important thing to keep in your brain because sometimes it can be a little daunting or it can be frustrating if you don't get something right away. But there are so many factors in play with it. And it doesn't mean just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to. See, the the, uh, the optimist in me would say if there's if there's more popular categories that are you're looking at and going, why aren't I making that, that many sales now? Whilst I'm getting orders on my less popular service, I would probably take the time to try and practice to get into those other categories as well and kind of go in both of them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a good idea to, if you haven't, if you're not completely set and you have the ability to learn new skills or the ability to slot yourself into different categories that you think are more lucrative, I mean, go for it. You know, there's nothing saying that you have to stick in one category, but just be realistic, you know? I think that's a great point. And something that I love about Fiverr is that you can really kind of, uh, it's kind of like a little laboratory. You can make little adjustments and small changes. And sometimes the problem might just be that you're offering exactly what someone wants, but you're not getting it in front of them because it's not listed in the right place or you haven't used a, a, a title that really communicates what you're trying to offer. So yeah, I, or, I totally agree with that. Or maybe it's as simple as going through and making sure that you've got all of the right tags and all of the metadata in because those things like you may think that it's it's easy to skip over a couple of things like that, but those are so pivotal when it comes to search, having your metadata and your tags in place. Totally. I think I think that category element is actually a really good point to mention because I, I I've helped a few sellers kind of get on their feet and improve their sales, and one of the thing that I kind of come across is there was one scenario where a seller didn't quite know where to put his um, gig, and I think he was offering some kind of ebook um, based on maybe. Uh, improving your business or something in general and it didn't fit inside a specific category so he put it in an other category and he said he was getting absolutely no sales and I kind of said to him the reason you aren't getting sales is because your service isn't necessarily one people are going to search for they're not going to type in I want an ebook about this instead it's something that they're going to have to stumble across and think oh that looks good that looks interesting let's check this out now you've put yourself in a low foot traffic category being in the other area. However, if you can relate your gig to a more popular category, then you're much more likely to grab, you know, the interest of people who are passing by. So let's say, for example, um, he edited the gig to kind of make it a little bit more business related or offered a business freebie or, you know, another ebook on that and then put that inside the business tips category. The business tips category is more popular just in general than the other category. So he actually did something along those lines and he came back to me a week later and said, 
it, you know, it's pretty amazing how much difference just changing that category made because I've made 10 sales in the last week. And it was literally just down to the category because he put himself, he had a service that was quite unique, wasn't really going to be searched for and it needed to be stumbled across. And he put it in an area where places and users are much more likely to be seen. And that's another great point that you just touched on. A lot of, a lot of, uh, of our skills and, and the different services we offer would really fit in multiple categories. So one thing that, that really helps people's success is uh, often opening up multiple gigs with slightly different variations on what you're offering, but they all fall under your same skill set. So maybe um, I will edit your book or I will edit your article or, you know, and those could, like, I'll edit your blog article could be posted under blog writing and editing. Um, I'll write, edit your novel could be posted somewhere else. And different people who are interested in those services will, will be finding you in both of those channels. I, uh, I, I agree with that. Um, and I, I personally call that the divide and conquer method. But I think you need to be quite careful with that as well, because you need to make sure that you're differentiating enough that they are kind of two standalone services. That's true. Because I have, I have seen examples before where people have kind of said, um, I will design your logo. I will design your clean logo. I will design your futuristic logo. I will design your retro logo. And they've, they've kept them a bit too close in how they're doing it. And they're essentially just offering the same service that won't see a benefit in that regard because you're just going to be weighted down. And you may actually find you're taking away the focus from one main gig. Whereas if you're splitting it a bit more broadly and saying, I will create your logo and then maybe I will create your website banner, which involves your logo, or I will create your um, business card as an example. Those could all technically be in one gig because you could have a logo with a business card extra. But by splitting that as well, you kind of, you know, you, you expand across the categories and you do it in a legitimate way without being too close to just repeating the same. Because the issue you have as well is I've seen um, examples of people slightly changing the title, but then pretty much kind of like keeping the images or the description pretty much the same. And I think that can actually lead to buyer confusion as well, where if I think I want a logo from this guy and I check out your profile and you've got 20 different you know, um, gigs all featured about logos, I may think to myself, well, which one do I order? There's a retro logo, a futuristic logo, a clean logo, a modern logo, um, a logo design, and it's just going to completely throw me off. Whereas if there was just a little bit more of a difference there, I think you make it a lot clearer to your buyers was also, you know, spreading your wings across those categories. And I think it's also important too, because if you, if you do diversify and you do have things that are so similar, one of the things that you're preventing yourself from having is multiple sales and multiple reviews on one gig. And that's one of the most important things that you can have, because that's one of the things that will attract buyers to you if you have a higher number of reviews and a higher number of completed sales. So you also have to be careful about not spreading those out among things and being detrimental in the fact that like nothing can gain no one thing can actually gain traction on its own that's actually that's a really great point because at the moment you know i have my website improvement um service and back in the day so to speak i had a website improvement service where i'll look at your website and offer 10 tips i had an seo evaluation where i'll do a um, search engine optimization specific evaluation of your website and one where I will video record on your website. And what I ed actually ended up doing, I think the video recording, which was me reviewing the screen as I went through, um, I think that maybe had about 100 sales or 100 feedback. 
the search engine optimization maybe had about 200, 250, and the improve your website at that time had maybe about 1,000. And what I actually found was closing those two services, the SEO and the video, closing them and merging them in as extras was a lot more beneficial for me because I ramped up the, the reviews on my uh, main 1,000 you know, review gig faster. And what it also allowed me to do by putting them as an extra was rather than have the $5 lead-in for them, I could have you know a $20 or $30 lead-in as the extra. And I think that's a really great point to, to kind of hit upon because whilst it is good to kind of get your name out there and diversify, you really can't beat having a gig where people are ordering at the same time and you're just ramping up the reviews because they're coming back to you for this and that and you know you instantly stand out. And I think that's one of the things that contributed to, to the fact today that my, my website review gig is the highest rated in the business category, not necessarily because I've sold more than other people, but because the services have been combined in a way that the market looking in the business category have all kind of come to me multiple times. So I get the multiple reviews. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is you can do this when you're starting out you can say, okay, I've got a bunch of different ideas for a bunch of different things. I'm going to put three or four of them up and see what works. And then down the line, you can figure out which one is the most popular and then you can combine them all together. So you don't have to have uh, hundreds or thousands of reviews on these to still to still do the exact same thing. It's a really good way of figuring out what's going to work and then, you know, combining things together. So definitely something for newer sellers to consider too is branching out in that way with the goal of eventually merging down. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, a really good game plan to, uh, to, you know, kind of come back to logo design again, you know. So if you had logo design and a business card gig, and you say after two months, you have 100 feedback on your logo design and 10 on your business card, you may think, well, that business card, you know, it bought me in a few customers, etc. But by itself, it's not quite, you know, cutting the mustard, so to speak. So let's pull that into the logo design gig, make it an extra, and then start to boost, you know, those 100 ratings that you've got there. So you, you give it an equal fair chance to see how it stands by itself. It's done you you know a good turn in the fact it's bought in a few orders, but you can then merge it in with your more popular service and then look to ramp that one up. I think that's a great point. And another, another uh, strategy that a lot of people can use in the beginning is they can, once they find out, like Red saying, once they can find out what service works best, they can sort of eliminate or you can, you can, do a, you can pause your gigs that um, aren't as high yielding and then just focus all of your efforts on the services that people are most interested in. Because yeah, I would say looking at uh, my profile, your profile, David, and yours, Red, we've all we've all kind of got like um, condensed down in the gigs that we offer. I mean, I know we've all got um, like 20 different slots available to, to, you know, create these gigs. But I'm, I think personally, I'm only using, I think it's about five. I can see, David, you're only using seven. And I think, Red, yours, yours isn't much different to that. Yeah, I currently have five up and one of them I wouldn't count because it's a it's a tip gig. I think it's that age old mixture of quality over quantity, but you're giving the quantity a chance to find out what your quality is. That, that's very poetic, Adam. <laughs> Why, thank you. And I also think that when, when you're thinking about how the buyer will be seeing your page, if someone lands on your page and it's just a, a screen just full of gig photos, kind of overwhelming and it's hard to really dig in and find what you're actually interested in that's why i think uh having just like we're talking about maybe five seven maybe a little bit more but not much more 
really helps people see exactly what you offer and kind of not have so much options that they feel paralysis by analysis or just that they're overwhelmed. Yeah, that's that's um, something I used to think of previously when I when I was a new seller. I used to I had a a few gigs. You know, you've always kind of got the ones that maybe don't sell. And I think I actually had this conversation with you on a previous um, show, Red, where um, I, I mentioned that now. You know, if a if a gig's got like say ten feedback and it's been there for a couple of months, one of the arguments is, well, you've made ten sales. Why not keep it up? You've got space. You know, people are still purchasing it. You might as well leave it there. And I kind of look at it and go, it's not, it's not hitting the targets I wanted to hit. It's not doing as well as I wanted to. And I'd much rather condense it down now, keep it focused. So when someone comes onto my page, not only is it more focused, but it also looks, you know, a lot better to the buyer. Because I can imagine if I was a buyer coming onto a profile and I saw 10 gigs and the first one had, you know, 3000 reviews and then the others had like five each, I probably wouldn't be inclined to order those five each at all because it, it kind of it puts you off in that way and it made me kind of think yeah what's wrong with them yeah what's wrong with these <laughs> services compared to this one mm-hmm, yeah i understand that you know obviously some services are more popular than others and you set them up at different times so there will be a difference but to have so many gigs that you know have little to no sales and then one or two that have a lot it's much better in that scenario to maybe have one with little sales put your effort into getting that one up to the next level and then open up the fourth one as opposed to opening up, you know, like six at a time and them all being there looking quite lowly compared to the others. Totally agree with you. So one of the things that the three of us have in common is that we all actually have gigs up offering to analyze other people's gigs. So let's, uh, let's give some people some free stuff. Um, why don't you two each tell me what your one most commonly advised thing is when asked to analyze someone else's gig like what is the one thing that comes up almost every single time okay so for me um i would say the categories but i've already i've already said that so for me the next thing that i always 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 mention to improve is the title that you give your gig and it's basically based around three different things. And that's because whether you've got your images up, your videos, whatever, the title is still going to be what explains and clicks through and gets picked up by searches. So my, my three biggest recommendations that I always mention about the title is one, try to use a unique word. By that, I mean, if everyone's saying I will create a professional logo, when someone searches professional logo, all the titles look the exact same. So if you write, I will create a unique logo and not many other people are using that, that makes you stand out already. The second thing is try to reference it to their situation. So I will create a unique logo for you or I will create your unique logo. The third one is to use the options available to you that Fiverr give, which is the fact that Fiverr allow you to have one capitalized word in your title. So use that word to highlight your unique identifier or your unique selling point of your service. So let's say, for example, it's logo. You might put that in capitals, but chances are everyone's offering a logo, so you won't. So you put what you've described it as in capitals. So let's say you would create a DJ logo. Um, I've seen a couple of services like this where they create really cool kind of like techno looking DJ logos. And they've written, I will create your DJ in you know big capital letters logo. And then instantly you're referencing the buyer, you're standing out more to the user because you've got that capital word and you're using a unique phrase that doesn't just make a scan and quick read because you look like all the other listings. How about you, David? 
Adam stole my favorite one because I think looking at the title is absolutely the most important thing. I totally agree with you, Adam. Um, that next most important thing that falls under the same category is all of the writing that they see once they actually open your gig and look at the description. Um, so the number one mistake that I see people making is having a description that says, I will do this, I will do that. For this gig, I offer this, I offer this. Here, Here's what I do for your purchase. And you might get some some purchases that way, but people aren't really going to be compelled. So what you want to do is create an experience where someone is reading it uh, who is probably thinking about buying something like that. Um, you you want to kind of hit on the the principles of copywriting, right? Where, where someone reads it and, and you sort of establish no like and trust. So you want to establish that you you know what their problem is, you know, either with a question that draws them in or, you know, making a statement that, that you know, uh, for instance, with I, I have a uh, a gig for helping people with website conversions, and I, I kind of talk about that. People think that the most important thing is just driving more traffic to their site, but that what actually matters more is how you're speaking to them when they're on their site. So, if you express the problem in your gig description, that someone that that's reading it is going to immediately just assume that you're going to be totally qualified to help them with it, and then the rest of your gig description should be spent. Um, showing why why you're good at, at what you're doing, or you know why they should trust you over someone else, and then really uh, describing what you're going to offer them, but focusing on the benefits more than just the features. So um, help them see what the outcome is going to be, and not just I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for you. And then the other thing I always uh, remind people to do is really take advantage of ways to make your text stand out visually. So. You don't want huge blocks of text. You want to break up the lines, use the bolding, and use the highlighted text where you can. I think I think that is such a good, true point. And I think because, um, you know, when you go into the specification straight away, like you say, you're, you're not really engaging with the, with the buyer. And I, I just want to highlight um, something similar I've done on one of my gigs just because I, I, I saw some conversions from it, which is along the lines of what you said. And um, it's one of the gigs that I offer, which is answering questions or fixing issues related to websites and coding and stuff like this. And I put myself in the mind of the buyer and I start the gig off with simply the line of saying, are you stuck? Have you been staring at the same problem for what feels like an age? And that, that's my hook. I instantly you know, try to relate to the buyer's scenario rather than just saying, I will fix any website problems you have. Because by communicating and engaging with that buyer, you're instantly drawing them in as opposed to just kind of, you know, repeating your title, as you say, or just going into specification straight away. I think you I, you hit the nail on the head perfectly when you kind of, you know, you likened it to copywriting or, you know, when you see sales pages, you need to kind of draw the users into the scenario or let them know you know what they're after and then go on to explain. I, I, I love that example that you just gave, Adam, because I think the, the number one home run that you can have uh, with these descriptions is for someone to read it and be saying yes out loud in front of their computer or nodding or or send you a message and say you know I read your I read your your description and I kept saying that's me um, because that's that's totally what you're going for and that's going to really help bring people to you definitely definitely how about yourself red what's your what's the kind of number one thing that you would advise spelling grammar punctuation every time um, it's amazing when you're 
when you're excited about something and you're typing something quickly, or if you aren't um, a particularly strong writer, it is so easy to make spelling and grammar mistakes in your profile and your descriptions. And it, it, if everything is clean and, and concise and well-written, it makes everything look so more, much more professional and it makes buyers so much more confident in you. So I would say, please take the time to go ahead and make sure that you've got your apostrophes in the right places, that you haven't misspelled any words, that, that you're not going to have something in your gig description that's going to pull a reader out and notice it. Because what you don't want them noticing is your spelling errors. What you want them noticing is how much they want to buy your gig. So that one, I think, comes up with almost every single gig that I review. And then the other one, a little bonus one, is um, your tagline. So many people um, use the tagline as a throwaway thing. This is the little line that comes under your username. And it should be something related to your business and what you are doing. It, it shouldn't be empty. And it can, can be something to really draw people in to connect you with the service you're providing in a professional manner. So tagline, spelling, grammar, dear God, punctuation. I think I think the just to mention about the tagline one, I think it's great to to say as well that we we actually we went into quite a lot of detail about that, didn't we? And um, the other elements of that branding inside the branding podcast that we we did a few weeks back. So if anyone wants to know more about that tagline, they should check that one out. Absolutely, that was a really great episode for talking about how to present yourself as as a brand. And I think when it comes to the the spelling, grammar, and punctuation, it as you say, it's absolutely key. And for me, it's, it's key for me because I often, you know, I speed read as I'm going through something because you want to, more and more people want to ingest the information quickly. And if they kind of hit a stumbling block or they notice a spelling mistake, it's not even just the case that it doesn't look as professional as it can do. It actively takes them out of the flow of being in the process, the process of ordering. So when they're kind of saying, no, if it said, I will create your modern, unique logo, and it kind of said, I will unique logo, you kind of like, wait, what? And you're kind of taking out the whole kind of the euphoria of being in that flow of going through that process when you have to kind of stop and think about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but back back many, many eons ago when I had like a regular real person job, um, one of the things that I was responsible for was going through intern resumes. And if they had an, uh, if they had a typo or, or an error in their resume, or if they had spelt the company name wrong, which happened a lot, which was always quite hysterical when they were applying for jobs with us, um, I wouldn't even read the resume. It would go straight into the no pile. Because I, if, you, if you aren't taking the time to present yourself in a professional, concise manner, you know, you might be the best person in the world at what you're doing, but that's what I'm going to see when I see your information. I'm going to see the error. I'm not going to see all the good things. Because that's what, what a lot of people do zone in on. So it's really, really important. It's just a little thing, a little tweak. It can make the world of difference. I think that reflects on what we we said a, a couple of minutes ago as well, when we said about you know having six gigs with very little sales, where it's better to kind of have the one concentrate on that than build that up. And if you kind of you know you have the six gigs, you're not taking that time, you're spreading yourself thinly. The mistakes like the grammar and the punctuation happen because you're looking at the quantity again over the quality when you know, you can condense that down and be more focused on what you're doing. So obviously, we, we've talked quite a lot today about, you know, getting that first sale, setting up, and then moving on from that. But there's going to be people listening today who kind of say, well, yeah, I'm still struggling with my first sale, though, you know, what should I do? I signed up, I haven't really got that sale, or it's not happened for me. Now, that 
from what I understand, can be quite a common situation. But I think there are numerous reasons as to why you may not be getting that first sale. So we've talked about going to the forum and kind of, you know, posting the Improve My Gig section, getting feedback from your peers, you know, coming to people who offer services like us to look at your gigs, review your gigs. But even then, you may kind of think to yourself, what can I do? Now, Red, what would you kind of say to that person in that situation at the moment? I would say it's very, very important to be an active member of the site in all ways. Um, Fiverr, unfortunately, is not a fire and forget situation. You don't just... Uh, it's not a good idea to just come on and put something up and then walk away and think you okay it'll just come to me like things like that you know you should be um, staying active on the site answering messages um, being uh, around hanging around on the forum is a really really good way to get your name your name recognized and your name out there um, buyer requests are huge a lot of people don't um, don't utilize them and I, I know I've said it before and I feel sometimes I feel like I'm beating a dead horse but buyer requests are enormous because it's people who are looking for something who haven't been able to either find exactly what they're looking for or who don't have the time to do the searching. And it's very, very easy to go in there and pitch yourself. You know, it's kind of like auditioning. You're pitching yourself to a potential buyer and you're not waiting for them to find you. You're going to them because they've expressed a need. So staying active in what you're doing and connected to the site is a really, really important thing. I think talking to, talking from a programming uh, perspective. Now, I don't I don't know anything about the algorithm of how the Fiverr search works. However, when I look at Fiverr, I see that on our profiles we can see when we last delivered, how good we are at responding, when we were last online, and there's a lot of time based elements. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about activity. And I think it's also important to think about the activity literally. So. As I say, I know nothing about the algorithm or how the search works, but it would make sense to me that if it was looking to pull up gigs, it would look to pull up a gig of someone, you know, who signed in, you know, a day ago to answer messages compared to someone who signed up, didn't get one sale the first day. So left and is sitting there a week later thinking, where are my sales? It would make more sense that that person who is more active on the site, more logged in, literally more kind of timestamps, if you like, is much more likely to receive that benefit. And I've often found that myself, actually, where if I've had a busy work day and I've been online quite a lot, I seem to get more requests coming in, more orders coming in compared to days where, you know, if I, I take a day or two off, um, I don't go in vacation mode. It just there seems to be a natural slowdown of just progression. So I really think there may, you know, there's some sort of link between being active literally on the site and how well you're going to show. So I think you, you kind of highlighted it brilliantly when you said it's not a case of you just put it up and you go. Try to stay active with it. Try to come on the site, see what's going on, look around, look in the buyer requests. Even if you're just looking around and not necessarily taking action, just being active with there can give you time to kind of mull that over and see what's happening. And it's actually also worth mentioning that there is a filter feature when you're looking for gigs that says, is the user online? So you can actually look for online users when you are searching. And I know a lot of people, especially people who are in a hurry with orders, they're going to go ahead and see who's online, who's available, who can I talk to about this right now? Totally agree with both of you guys. And uh, I think for me, uh, so nowadays for, for new sellers, joining Fiverr tends to take a, a long time to uh, become a top-rated seller. And I think part of the reason why I was able to do that in a little under a year was because I was totally immersed in the online forum. So uh, it is such a rich resource for knowledge and learning and 
I learned so many things that I didn't even know that I needed to learn. You, you get ideas, you find ways to collaborate with people. Um, and it's, it's really, really helpful for learning how to improve your gigs. And also, I also agree with Red. I think with the, with the seller or the buyer requests, uh, a lot of people get flooded by sellers who send sort of copy paste responses, might not look all that attractive on the buyer's end of the screen. And it's a real opportunity for you to differentiate yourself, to speak directly to someone who's raised their hand and said, hey, I want to buy this service. And you can really get some early sales that way. I think I think the only other thing I would mention as well is um, trying to keep on the momentum and work with your lead times with that. So if you're looking to set up your first service, but you know you're not that available right now, and you're just looking to do it as a very very small side thing, and you're going to put your delivery time as like ten days, even if you do get sales on that, it's going to be a long time before they start to ramp up and you become a level one, etc. Because if you're getting say five sales, that could technically take if you like a minimum of 50 days if they're split apart whereas if you've got a lead time to start with of say two or three days or even one day if you like you're much more likely to attract the buyers who want it quickly because it looks like it's going to be delivered more quickly your order's going to be less split apart and then you're going to ramp them up quicker and you're going to have a faster flow from that and then if you like let's say for example you did do one day delivery you spent a week where you had some good free time you thought i'm really going to commit to this one day delivery for a week, pick up, let's say, 10 sales. Second week, go to two day delivery, add an extra fast option, pick up some more sales. Third week, go to three day delivery and maybe increase your extra fast option price from $5 to $10 and slowly just tweak with that to keep that momentum going. So you're getting a consistent stream of orders as opposed to having them really far apart. So my recommendation would be if you are looking to sign up and you are looking you know, to do it quite a lot, but you're a little bit busy right now, sign up when you've got more time so you can really commit to your kind of lower delivery times to really crack them out as early as possible. Yeah, and don't feel like it's not a malleable number. I mean, there's a, I have plenty of clients. I offer two-day delivery as standard and I have some extra fast and extra, extra fast options. But I get a lot of my clients that message me and be like, oh, I don't need this for like three or four days. I'm still going to deliver it on time, on on my timescale for them. But it's it's good to know that like, just because you've set your delivery as a certain time doesn't mean that clients won't still come to you if it's a little bit if it's a little bit longer, especially if you've built up more sales and more of a reputation and a relationship with them. I mean, if I I took a two week vacation um, last year and I had clients waiting who waited for me the entire time until I came back. So if you're building up that client base, just work within work within that to make sure that you are setting yourself up for success with your delivery times as well. So gain the clients first and then really analyze what you can actually achieve in the event that you are getting more work than anticipated. So, you know, be flexible. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point to mention because when I when I first signed up and extra fast was available, because again, I, I, I was I was around before we had extra fast. But when extra fast became available, everything was set as one day. And now I think my extra fast, my lowest is three days and my highest is four days. So that works within what my clients are looking for and it generates sales for me. But I was able to have the lower time when I needed it to ramp up my sales. I was able to slow that down when I got what I wanted. I'm established and I'm, you know, full if you like. But then if I have a quiet period, I can just lower that again and just kind of ride that wave of delivery times to see what works best for me. Well, that's about all we have time for this week. Thank you so much to David for joining us. You can find him on Fiverr at David388. 
Our jingle was made by Ryan, Custom Drum Loops, and we were edited today, of course, by the fabulous Dancha. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye, America.